Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Lowe Blasingame, and I am your host. I am here today with Christiana Kimmick. Hello. And special guest <laughs> in from Scottsdale, Arizona, Debbie Hickey. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie is here. She's going to weigh in. Uh, Debbie, how long are you sober? 29 years. 29 years. Oh, okay. So you're a bit of a newcomer. I'm a newcomer. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> one day at a time. Yeah. One day at a time. 29 years. Okay. So um, we need all your experience, strength, and hope and wisdom. And uh, you're in from Scottsdale. And it's we identified that in Southern California right now, it's as hot in Scottsdale as it is here. Yes, I, I believe it is. I stepped outside and shockingly it felt like Arizona. It's like, where am I? Yeah, the weather's super weird. Not where that this I? is a podcast about the weather, but honestly, probably a nice little break for people to talk about the weather since usually it's like, this is my childhood trauma. Yeah, super heavy topics. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So we were talking, we, we had a long conversation that we're going to just repeat this morning about being overwhelmed and overwhelm and recovery. And I'm always overwhelmed, so I love this topic. <laughs> um, I think I was I came out of the womb overwhelmed. Um, and that and drugs and alcohol very much helped with that because I think when you, when you're using, right, your overwhelm is your emotions and you're, you know, and then you get a big life and your overwhelm is you know, all the good things, right? So <laughs> overwhelmed with all the bad things, then you get overwhelmed with all the good things. So yeah, I want to, I want to talk about that and how in 29 years you have worked through overwhelm. Uh, and so to just back up a little teeny oh, bit. sorry. This is going to be a new type of podcast format episode. Christiana is very concerned that you know about the format. I just feel like as the producer, I need to tell you what (laughs) to expect so that you know what you're going to listen to. So we're going to call this a mini-sode. In a mini-sode, we're not going to put a time frame on it because we don't want to put a time frame on our guests, but uh, we just want to talk about one topic at a time and let a guest who has great wisdom go into that topic. Okay. So if you thought this was an episode, I want you to take a deep breath, (sighs) breathe out episode and in mini-sode. Out episode, in mini-sode. So now you're in the right frame of mind. (laughs) Yes. So Debbie, we are so excited that you're here. This is why I just do the talking. (laughs) (laughs) No, we need both sides though. Yeah. (laughs) We need the compliment. Thank you for setting that up. Makes me feel less overwhelmed. <laughs> How do you deal with overwhelm? Well, we set the format. Yeah, we put a framework in. Yeah, place. we put a, we read the direction. We read the directions. Yes. Oh yeah, funny tiny little story about that. Should we share about the fan? That's yeah, not currently not currently not on. <laughs> yeah, well, it was just a very personality moment. We got a new fan in the office. I'm sure you're thrilled for us, and. <laughs> And I immediately started to try to put it together and fit pieces in places and just kind of guess, like, who who might go where. And uh, Christiana was diligently laying out each piece of this fan and then opening the directions and reading them thoroughly 
And it was just a really good example (laughs) of our personalities where she needed to know everything and map the whole thing out and understand where all the pieces go. And I was just haphazardly (laughs) trying to put things inside other things and see if they fit. And uh, And getting excited when they did. Yeah. I was like, I win. Um, See, you don't need directions. Yeah, exactly. And so um, we were just laughing at the personality differences because we all do things a little differently. We do, but it's what makes you such a good team and working together, and it's also what makes it so much fun to bring on so many different types of people, too. So that's a fun little internal look into the daily. The daily life, the daily pod. (laughs) The daily pod. Oh, maybe, oh, that could be a new one. Never mind, jumping ahead. Okay. (laughs) So, overwhelming. (laughs) I'm overwhelmed by your daily pod. (laughs) (laughs) I'm overwhelmed by the thought of planning it, too, so maybe next year. 2020. 2040. Ugh. I'll be 40. No, 50. We're not going there. Math. (sighs) So, okay. Debbie. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. We're so happy to have you here. Yeah, I'm I'm genuinely interested in this and this topic. It's a powerful topic. So why did you drink and you, like, did you drink and use for to feel better or was it to numb out? Was it to feel bigger feelings? What was like? I, when I really think about that, I started drinking because I felt really bad about who I was. And one of the things that I noticed um, early on is I knew I had potential. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was smart. I knew, I like, I knew some things. And I knew that I had some drive, but I could never gain momentum on anything. So that margin between where I was Mm -hmm. and where I wanted to be was so huge and getting bigger that it caused me to feel horrible, sad, anxiety, and I just couldn't stand the feeling. And I found alcohol and I had freedom from it. I, I just forgot about where I wanted to go or where I thought I wanted to go. I forgot about my dreams, goals, and it just took that that horrible gut feeling away. Right. And for for a period of time while I was drunk, I just didn't care about any of that. Yeah. And it was the the feeling of coming out of being drunk and opening my eyes or being high, smoked a lot of weed. I I, I couldn't stand it. And it just perpetuated that cycle of, oh, my God, this this is horrible. I hate where I am in my life. And that started at a really relatively young age. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm. when you, I mean, you got, did you go to treatment? I did not go to treatment. It was funny. I actually started out in a uh, going to Al-Anon and went to Al-Anon pretty diligently for a couple of years. And it was in an Al-Anon meeting that I discovered uh, just had an awakening about it. And in the Al-Anon meeting, I said, oh, gosh, I think I might be an alcoholic. And they were like, thank God we have been waiting for you to discover that. Oh, my gosh. You know, like some people say they, they I've heard people in Al-Anon say, you know, that they like who are sober and AA and Al-Anon say they they came in the back door like Al-Anon with Al-Anon and then to AA. So, you know, 29 years is a long time to be sober and you've gone through a lot of different seasons of life. When you think about how you dealt with being overwhelmed in early sobriety 
versus how you deal with being overwhelmed now. Can you talk a little bit about what those, you know, what it looked like early on, like just getting through and and kind of where you are with it now? You know, oddly enough, when I think about it, and I you get overwhelmed. I I do. (laughs) I get overwhelmed. I do get overwhelmed, and I have had I have had to um, address that my entire sobriety, and it has come as a result of different things. But I will say. I have tried to practice the same simple solutions the entire 29 years. Like, although the circumstances that are overwhelming me have been different, I have still gone back to some of those very most basic foundation fundamental things that I was taught by those first people that helped me really build the foundation of my recovery. And I think it's very significant. And they're like little treasured gifts that I, like it gives me goosebumps. I, I hold them close and I um, apply those, those things that have worked one day at a time for 29 years and have helped me get through. Now, I, I've become a bit, as time has gone on, I've become more and more fascinated with not only what causes my overwhelmedness, but that of others too, Mm -hmm. and try to be helpful uh, where I can. I'm a little more strategic about it, which has allowed me um, to some degree um, spin it into a little bit of a business, but I'm really passionate about it. And I see it all the time. I see people overwhelmed. They're not gaining momentum. They're stuck. And then I see what starts to settle in, which this is where it, it becomes hard to watch is you see a heaviness, a sadness, anxiety, and the light in people's eyes dim and they're stuck and they're just sort of going through motions. And I am a firm believer you do not have to live that way. There are solutions to that feeling. What were some of the early tools that you used? You talk about the tools you were given, and I think a lot of the time we hear that word mm-hmm. thrown around, and um, people want to know, you know, what 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 were some of those those things? I would say some of the very early ones that that were really hard for me. One that was really hard was to not project because what I was projecting, if I followed my thoughts, they were not good. I was not helping myself by being in projection. So in, in projection and just, you know, for people who don't know, what pro- so that mean, that would mean that you have decided what the outcome is going to be. Yeah, I have very vividly painted the picture yep. in my mind of how this is going to go down, right. how this is going to turn out. Right. And, and it, it was never good. My visualization yeah. of my movement forward and where I was going was never good. And, you know, it's funny when I talk to people who are projecting or when people, you know, when I've had conversations and I'm doing it, the question that I ask them and that I'll ask myself is, is it possible it could turn out a different way? And the answer is always yes. And so if I can answer that yes like, is it possible that I'm wrong? Is it, is it possible that this could turn out well? Because for me, when I don't know what's going to happen, I assume it's going to be bad. So not knowing equals bad. Yes. And, um, and since I'm not all-knowing, all things turned out, you know, I believed were going to turn out badly. So how did you stop projecting? Um, in the beginning, with the help of my sponsor – 
when I would get in a bad spot, she would help to point out that I was in projection. So at first, it was really lots of practicing of staying in the moment. And that happened by her helping me to see it. Also doing things physically like breathing, which I I still to this day, I'm not, I don't like the whole meditative breathing. It stresses me out. I don't know why I've come to accept Mm. it. It causes me to slow down and I like to be in motion with my thoughts and my actions. The other things that I would do would be doing, she would say, just do the next right thing. And I would say, well, what is that? How do I know? And she'd say, then she'd say to me, this is very early on, but I still apply this. Do my dishes need to be done? Have I showered? Have I eaten anything? Am I taking care of my most basic fundamental needs, which is going to set me up to be in a position of of greatest calm, peace, ability to think, you know, my my physical body. And I didn't want to look at that, but I would start practicing those things. And then she'd say, go do those basic things. And if you're still struggling, call me back. And I would. And I would I learned to work my way into forward motion by not only taking responsibility for the things around me, but learning how to calmly move forward, not in projection. And I found that the more I did that, the better it was. And it was kind of a survival. How do I stay in the moment? And I did that for a lot of years, and I still do that. Sometimes when I'm overwhelmed now, I'll literally get a Post-it note, and I will write, go make the coffee, turn the shower on to warm it up, you know, take your shower, walk the dog, you know, turn your computer. Like sometimes I just have to break it down. I have to pull myself down to the very most simple terms and regroup and hold my little post-it and work my way through it. And then I find a, a place of peace and calm again where I like to live. I don't like to be frantic and overwhelmed. Yeah. I have a low, low tolerance for it today. Yeah. And it comes up. I think partly because I'm an alcoholic and partly because it's the way I've made and because there's things that are unhealed in me that still surface and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I relate to all of that and, you know, figuring out how to break things down into smaller tasks is, is such an important skill. And it's really hard to remember when you're frantic and it's really hard to remember when you've decided how things are going to end or how things are going to go. Um, and you know, those that, and, and the best way to ensure that you'll respond to a situation with that healthy behavior is to practice it when you're not frantic. Because then when you are frantic, you will have that muscle memory. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I think that's really valuable. Yeah. And it's being mindful. You know, when I was first getting sober, it was all frantic. It was chaos. I was afraid and I acted on that and I shut down and I did all kinds of things. But what I've learned over the years is that it's possible by reaching to others and finding these solutions and then really deeply, passionately wanting to be different, have a different way of living. Like, I want that more than anything. I wanted that in the beginning and I want that today because there are things I see in myself that I'm still, I think, gosh, I could have even more peace or I could be more helpful. I could, you know, you see things. And then I think I'm going to seek the solution and I'm going to find somebody that can show me how do I get to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Humbly find a person who can show me how to live more in line with what I want. And then I practice it. And uh, lots of times I'm really into, I forget 
And so I write, like if I'm trying to practice something, a new thought process or practicing being mindful, I write it. It's like a goal. And this is where the whole, let's take our dreams, let's take the things we vision, the things that are so far out there, and let's pull them in closer and and put them into, make them some goals. So if, you know, it, it might be, how do I be more mindful about my self-care. And I if I'm if I'm trying to be more aware of that, I'll I'll put a post-it note and I'll just write self-care. I have a question about that. So yeah. one of the things, you know, that we've been joking about and it's actually uh, apropos of <laughs> the fan story of, you know, me <laughs> just haphazardly trying to fit, you know, and, and and Christiana reading the directions, which is that a part of my personality, right, is that I'm so in my head that I don't notice things around me. And so I've often used the technique. <laughs> this is actually <laughs> embarrassing. I'm going to admit this. <laughs> so I've used the technique of writing things on a post-it and putting them on my mirror, well, they have now been there <laughs> for a very long time. <laughs> and I and I do read them. I do read them sometimes, but for the most part, it's just like part of the mirror now. It's, <laughs> I don't I don't know that. And so I'm curious, you know, what for people who are so not mindful that they can't they don't notice like mm-hmm. how you know what are some ideas to come <laughs> people like me whose head is so in the clouds <laughs> like how do you you know let a little bit out and, and bring yourself down well i think and and that's i mean there's all different kinds of people and and that is a challenge um and it's a challenge for me cuz i can get distracted from and i think that's where you know if you were to look at my home office area, and I, I say post-its, you could do anything. It could be a whiteboard. It could be whatever. I just happen to put post-its up. And and it's tr- not only turning them on, let's say, let me think of something that's on one of my post-its. Probably. I need something to like hit me in the face. Do we have that? Something sure a device like a jack in the box. It's going to pop out and like <laughs> it moves around the house and just scares the crap out of me. I think it actually <laughs> goes deeper in. Okay, and I think the the question is, I mean, it's I think there are people that are dreamers and there are people that are higher level thinkers. And I knowing you, I know that. And that's it's it it serves its purpose and it has its place and we need that. But there I think you have to examine, I have to examine, am I am I in my dream mode? Am I am I creating? Or am I in some mode where I'm running? I so don't want to look. Yeah. Or am I just is am I just fully full blown into maybe it's denial. You know, I get in denial, or I I know that I needed to narrow in and focus on something, but I have fear attached to it, mm-hmm. or I'm uncertain about. Gosh, I've I've screwed this up in the past. Do I have the capacity to work through this? I have to. Um, we were talking about you know we we're talking about mail and earlier, and we were talking about clutter and you know one of the things on a post-it note. I mean, actually, I have organizational items that I've posted up. You know, I have some 
some life insurance issues that I need to really resolve. I need to make some decisions. I need to let some things go. I don't want to do it. I haven't done it alone. It's something that I need advice from. I I have to focus in and be deliberate about my decisions and my evaluating. And, and I, I just don't want to do it, but I'm being irresponsible by not doing it. I'm running from it. I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe if I ignore it, it'll go away. And that causes internal stress for me, yeah. which adds to my being being overwhelmed. overwhelmed. Yep, me too. And there's a so many things in life. We were talking we were kind of laughing about the mail, but it's a very serious thing for a lot of people because yeah. things come to us in the mail. Things come. I have a very clear strategy about my mail. Like and I really try to stick to it and it came out of a result of not wanting to be overwhelmed by what's in the mail. I used to hate to go to the mailbox. I have a, a mailbox where it's not on my I live in a complex and and I wouldn't, it would be like the mail would be taunting me because I knew I was going to get a notice from my complex that the mail has piled up and they've now taken it to the Scottsdale Central mail, mailbox, mm-hmm. mail office, you know? Right. Like now you, now I have to get in my car and go drive <laughs> and pick up the mail because yeah. I didn't want to face what was in the mail. <laughs> right. And things that are in the mail are notices from people or something I've ignored or mostly things I have to pay for or, you know, or it's just additional work and I don't really want to do it. Can well, somebody else do it? It's almost like it's funny. This is just what came to me while you're talking about that. It's almost like as I'm thinking about the mail and I'm thinking about what it represents and I'm thinking it's like. Someone wants something from me. Someone wants more from me, and I don't have anything left to give. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. almost like the mail is a constant representative of taking from. Mm-hmm. And if you feel, which I often do, like you don't have anything left to give, you just don't go to that. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't hang out with those people. You don't go to that mailbox. Mm-hmm. You don't like you don't go to places where you're going to something's going to be asked of you when you don't have anything to give. Right. right? And it's it and I say that in a um metaphoric way, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. like don't ask anything of me. I ca- I can't I can't give you mm-hmm. anything. And that includes attention, right? Mm-hmm. Or time. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's the big thing that you're talking about is attention and time. And there are so many things that are calling for our attention and time, that the overwhelm for me is often, how do I give each part of my life the right amount of attention and time so that it flourishes to the best of its ability? Like, how do I divvy that up? And then also, you know, oftentimes I'm overwhelmed because the tasks that I have to do are like you talk about being mindful and 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 you know in in the moment and like I don't want to be in the moment while I'm doing the dishes. I don't like doing the dishes, mm-hmm. so I don't want to be in the moment. So like living through the experience of things I don't care to experience. So putting that off mm-hmm. and uh and I think it's it's interesting to me over time what I've noticed is how much is like how much of your life is metaphorical. It's a little scary, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I think what what I have tried to do, and this this has happened over a long time, is, you know, to to really have a vision, like really try to grasp a vision 
of where I have wanted to be in these different seasons of my life. Like right now, my kids are getting ready to kind of launch onto their own and be moving into their, you know, late teens. And, you know, I'm I'm being very mindful. And this is not easy. And I have done it alone, but I've also sit and I get help. Like if I get overwhelmed with trying to see my path and to try to assemble what I like. I don't like to feel like I'm at the mercy of life just happening to me. Yeah. I, I don't like that. I don't like that either. I don't. And I believe I drank over that. Yeah. I drank. I mean, one thing I remember that I drank over so much way, way back in the beginning before I got sober, I really wanted to go to Harvard. And I knew that I could do it if I got there, but I could never, I needed help and I didn't have the capacity. I didn't know who to ask for help. And I, I, I know today that, and I drank over it. I was sad. I was like, God, what a waste. Why can't, why can't I get to where I want to go? Right. I, I, I felt bad and then I would isolate. I just drank. I was miserable. And then the things that I did engage in seemed mediocre. They seemed so far below what I knew I could do, what I knew my drive and my passion could be. I could feel it inside. So it just kind of stayed inside and I didn't do what I knew. And today it's different. I, for example, I always wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write something that was good enough to be published in a book. And if somebody wanted to go to Amazon and buy it, they could. And I put that on a post-it three years ago. And I prayed and I looked and I started talking to writers and I started, you know, just asking questions and seeking information about that world. And I just kept saying, God, if you want me to write something, I'm ready but I, I don't know where to go or how to do this. So I had such an openness to the whole idea. And every time I'd say, oh, I'm not good enough, I'd, I'd just say, no, you're not going there. And I'd look at that post-it and I'd go, writer, book. Actually, all it said was the word book hmm. and say anything else because I didn't know how. Or, and then this woman who has this collab- this little publishing company and she does collaborative books. And next thing you know, 2019, I was a featured artist, author in two books and you can go to Amazon and buy them. They're like in my house. I'm like, oh my gosh, how'd that happen? Right. But I didn't, I put my sights on it and then I was just open. But I wasn't willing just to throw it aside. It was like, no, I'm going to honor that 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 word. I really have that in me and I want to explore that. And I don't want to regret at the end of my life not exploring that as a as a possibility. I'm not willing to. I don't want to be on my deathbed or whatever it is and say, gosh, I I wish I had really honestly, genuinely explored the potential of me doing that. Yeah. Now, whether the door opens or not, I didn't know if I was going to do it. And the door opened and there it was. But I I didn't lose sight of it. And that, I think... You know, I think that in many ways is varsity recovery, right? Like it's that's about like doing, you know, really learning to surrender, really learning to let go, really learning to, you know, act as if and take, you know, like there's so if like just by putting that posted up there that says book, not only have are you surrendering, but you, you're identifying what you want. Like you're saying it out loud or you're writing it down. There's so many aspects of that that are that are advanced in many ways because I, I didn't even know what I wanted. Like I didn't even know – when I got sober, I didn't even know what I liked to do. 
And I remember trying all these different things, like, you know, (laughs) different sports, different foods, different. I mean, I literally didn't know what I liked. If you had asked me early sobriety and, and people did ask, like, you know, about all I could tell you is I was a recovering alcoholic. <laughs> Go to a restaurant. Hi, I'll have a soda water. And also I'm a recovering alcoholic. Like I didn't know it was yeah. the only thing I knew how to yeah. say, you know, it was like now it's like 10th on the list, mm-hmm. but it was numero uno. I just didn't have anything else. Mm-hmm. And so then it was, okay, I like these things. What could they, you know, so just building on that. So it's funny because when I'm listening to, I'm like all listening, all, listening to and thinking about all of the different categories of recovery required to be able to get to that surrender mm-hmm. piece. Mm-hmm. One of the tools of recovery that I use a lot is journaling and writing. Is that something that, I mean, especially as someone who likes to write, is that something that you did I'm not very good at that, although I do like to write, and I, I, I think if I can get a topic and I'm focused, it reduce, it turns into something that's worthy of publishing. You know, I, I'm moving forward. I just don't journal. I, I really don't. It's hmm. not. I don't know why it feels confining to me. It always has. One thing we were talking about circling back to some of the original tools. You know, some people have lots and lots of meditation books. Some people have journal books. They'll Mm -hmm. stack them up and they'll carry them for years and they'll have them in boxes. And, you know, I'm a believer whatever works for each individual person. But I think we have a personal responsibility to ourselves to constantly seek that. And it changes. Some of it changes. But one of the things that I've always done is you'll you'll hear people say, well, I've memorized these prayers and I say these five prayers in the morning. And honestly, my go-to prayer from the very moment that I surrendered and came into recovery is, God, please help me. <laughs> I don't, I am so willing. I'm going to get up now. Like, and I, I usually find myself in a prayerful position at least once a day. And it's usually by the side of a bed. And I roll out of bed and I say, I, I'm, I don't, some people say, oh, I always thank God for my sobriety. And I, I just have to keep it so simple. And when I'm asking God to help me, I'm thinking and trying to feel deep in my core that he is going to help me, that I am going to move forward, that we're going to get this figured out, that I'm not alone, and I'm going to get up and I'm going to do the next right thing. Even if I don't know what it is, and even if it seems stupid and mundane, I'm going to get up and get going. Let's get this day going, and let's see what unfolds. And what happened over the years is there's, like, it gives me goosebumps. There's such a, I'm genuinely excited about the possibilities of what might unfold. Mm, Yeah. Like, I have, like, a, it is an enthusiasm that can go, and because there's, like even coming here and being with you guys, I thought I'm so thrilled to see what unfolds. I'm it's exciting to me because I can you, you know it's eyes that see over time, long time, eyes that see possibilities everywhere and looking deeply into other humans' eyes, you you experience what I believe life is about is that human connection. Now, I have goals, I'm I have spreadsheets, I have like I'm super detail oriented and want it I have perfectionism I deal with. But having that that connection 
like sitting next to Christiana and looking at you and deep into your eyes, your humanness, all of it, exactly who you are. It's, it's amazing to me. And those, it's just a, it's a decision I make every day. I'm, I want to live this way and I can. I have to be conscious and mindful. And you saw me have a, a serious relapse into some codependency at the table this morning. And, you know, what, what did that, you know, what did that feel like? What was that? Do you want to talk a little bit about Sure. That? So what happened there is that I had made, I consciously made some decisions to read something that was not helpful to me in any way. And I knew I was doing it. I was consciously doing it. I wasn't thinking about how the words would affect me. And and I, I could have felt I had to let it go. I had to say, I'm human. I'm not cured of the disease of alcoholism. Um, I'm human. I'm not going to perform perfectly ever. I allowed myself to be vulnerable with you and Christiana about the struggle with it. And then I was open to your suggestion. I was open. I wasn't embarrassed. I was open. And then you, a message came to me from you. Could have come from Christiana, could have come from anybody, but it happened. I was looking straight at you and you asked me a question and then I acted on your suggestion. And I believe those circumstances. And then I took the action and then I felt the freedom. Right. I was present to that discussion and found relief in a very simple act, but it required me to explore it and not run from it. Right. Talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's little tiny things, but the overwhelm comes, I believe, from all those things that add up. The mail, the thoughts about having kids, the, am I a good parent? How do I find a deeper God? Like there's so many things. And that's where I just have to break it down. And in that moment, I said, I'm going to listen to exactly what she's saying because I don't believe any of the words are wasted. Some of the words aren't appropriate and some words could be left unsaid. But I think each opportunity is a chance to learn. And I learned something in that moment that when something, when information comes to me that's, that's not helpful to me, I have a way to deal with that and I have a choice. Yeah. And get rid of it. Right. Right, that there is there is a mm-hmm. solution. <laughs> there is a solution. Right. And I learned that I'd like to punch people in the face when they hurt my friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, that's helpful, too. That's helpful, too. Yeah, we need to, sometimes Makes people. Makes me feel better. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to do that. No, strike from the record. I've never been, never been anywhere to be in trouble except for the principal's office <laughs> when I was younger for beating someone up. Other than that, I've been good. She's genuinely nice. <laughs> you sense yeah. it when you're near her. Yeah, it's true. That's true. Genuinely nice. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that was that was a really remarkable thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, enough, like because it was one of those things where, and I have so had this where, <laughs> where like I'm in pain over something, and someone gives me a really easy, like simple, obvious solution, and I haven't thought of it, can't imagine it, like repel from it, like every reaction, it's like a not a normal reaction because I think in some ways I have this like horrible tendency to torture myself and I watch and then I watched the change in like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go through that, you know, a little bit of fear around it and discussion and then 
and then the the release and to just see that i think you know it's it's what's cool and what's so fun and cool about being in recovery and getting to know people is that most people don't talk like this right <laughs> <laughs> you know, like most certainly not with people they work with and they aren't the depth is just not the same and so you don't get to watch like recovery in action, transformation, vulnerability, humanness. And what I love about, you know, my world is that my world is full of of depth because I I really don't do well without it. I'm not good at it. I'm not, you know, I can I can do it for a short period of time before I start to have like my head spins around. I just can't uh, and then, you know, I usually make the those situations that are like kind of supposed to be surface level, superficial, really uncomfortable after a while because I can't, can't manage. But, you know, it's so cool to me. And, and I that that learned experience is from being in recovery mm-hmm. is from stepping back and saying, like, I drank and used to numb emotions, numb feelings, numb dreams, numb mm-hmm. all of these things, whether it was good or bad. And I had to learn as a result of, you know, my alcoholism, I had to learn to walk through things with new tools mm-hmm. and transform very quickly because my reactions and and this was something that my dad always pointed out to me. He said, you know, life happens to alcoholics and non-alcoholics alike. Right. And right. so he he would talk about he used to go to meetings, you know, when I was young, take me to meetings and he would say, you know, it's interesting. People are talking about things that he would say, there are people talking about things that I feel and things that happen to me. And and I would tell him, and this still stands, which is it's not that life is happening to alcoholics differently. It's that our reaction to life mm-hmm. is different. We have a fatal mm-hmm. reaction to mm-hmm. everyday things. And in fact, for me, the everyday things are much more difficult than crises I can handle a crisis. I, I really, I can, you know, chaos, crisis. I'm, I'm, I'm your go-to. Like I know what to do. Suddenly, I have a wealth of knowledge I didn't know I had. I'm cool, calm, collected. It's like the daily things of taking the mail into the house, where I am, like, you know, nervous breakdown. Can't, you know, <laughs> can't get my feet under me. You know, those are the right. things where it's just, how do I, you know how do I function in this world, you know, and, and, and it just that daily stuff. And we have fatal reactions to, mm-hmm. to these norms that everybody else seems to yeah. just deal with. I, I agree. And, and I really, really believe that when you, you watch people relapse, I mean, I think people relapse for a lot of different reasons, but I believed that if I did not master, if I did not build some sort of a foundation of recovery that included solid, workable tools that I would pick up just one day at a time, and if I, if I did not master the, the daily living, the mundane of mm-hmm. the daily living, because my head was in the clouds and I was a dreamer and I wanted to go to Harvard. I didn't want to live in Phoenix, Arizona. I hated it. And I was tortured and and I still can be. You know, my dreams today, one of my goals today, like fast forward, I'm going to be 54. 
I would like to buy a cottage in Europe. Now, I never would have thought that many years ago. And, and, and I'm hanging on to thoughts now about what do I want my retirement to look like? Mm-hmm. What do I want my life to be like when I slow down? When I look in the mirror or people look at me, what kind of person do I want to be? Can I continue to move into being somebody that's that's admired, that's kind, that's helpful, that owns a little cottage that she goes to in Europe a couple times a year? Like, is that possible? And I believe that it is. And, you know, I kind of search my soul about that. It's on a post-it. It's up there. Cottage. And, you know, it might not be in Europe. It might be in Northern California. I don't know. But I feel drawn to being part of my life looking like that. I feel it inside. I'm listening. I'm stopping and not being afraid. Even though I can't see the path clearly, that's the other thing. Like just, you know, I envision and I do a lot of visual imagery. I actually visualize myself being in a space where I feel happy and comfortable and the sounds around me. And I try to just be quiet and be in touch with that and not to be afraid and to be nimble enough and flexible enough to let the path unfold. And that's hard because I'm a control freak and I'm a perfectionist and I have to bump up against that all the time. But to just trust. And I knew the only way that I could be more peaceful and trust was also to continue to say, God, please help me to continue every moment that I think about it to have to, to deeper that relationship with God. So that sense of knowing that everything is okay, even though it might be feeling like it's falling apart, I'm going to get through it. We're going to get through it. I'm not going to be alone. And people like you, Ashley, I'm willing, and Christiana and whoever, trusting that those messages for the, the higher quality of living can come at any moment. You and, and like looking and listening, like really looking at people because people, I believe the message that you gave me this morning was directly from God, something I've been dealing with. Like I was ready. I was open. You were just, you just said, well, why don't you just delete it? Like it was like, <laughs> I'm like, what? Excuse me? I know. I was like, wait. Uh, wait, what did you say? Yeah. Like I looked into your eyes and I was like, what did she just say? Like, I never thought. Right. I would never have thought. And it was like, obviously, I was visually seeing you, but I was like, oh, that's a message. You better grasp hold of that right now and figure that out. Work that right now. Do that right now in that moment because that's going to help you. Well, there was something interesting about that, too, which was that so once you got past the fear of why don't you delete that, you're like, yeah, there was a hang up you had. Right. And there was a hang up you had where you you needed some parts and you were open to for like there was a solution to that problem, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you can you can you know, it was a technical thing. It was a, you know, was. a tech issue, but it was a hang up mm-hmm. and it was a hitch. It was, it was a, like, uh, it was like, I'm stuck, but I can't delete it because of these reasons. And because you were open to the first commentary you should delete it. I was able to say, oh, you don't have to do that. You can, you, right. you, there's actually a way around that. Yeah. So like it, it's, it was more than one door because yeah. the first idea was, was, you know, not plausible because of the second piece yes. of it, you know? So it was about like that following the open door. 
I think it's interesting. You know, people talk a lot about God and higher power in program and, and in recovery. And for me, for a very long time, I had to fake it till I made it like really, really, really. And, you know, use believe that there was simply a power greater than Ashley. And I remember my sponsor saying, honey, if you can't find a power greater than Ashley, we have a new problem. (laughs) Like, man, that's a really good point. (laughs) You know, and, and just figuring out like, you know, for me, it's like, it's same. It's like energy movement, right. And, um, bringing things into my awareness. But part of what you're talking about is like this, deliberate intention of taking in messages. And that's kind of, that's something I'm working super hard on is paying attention, Mm -hmm. slowing down, which doesn't mean you can't be really busy. Because I thought slowing down meant Mm -hmm. that you, you know, sat at home and didn't do anything. And which, frankly, at this point, <laughs> I would, nice. I'm ready to slow down. Um, but uh, but it's really about like just being present for each thing and clicking into it and then clicking out and doing that transition, to, like changing over, giving yourself a little bit of space to move from one activity, mm-hmm. you know, job, role, whatever to another. Absolutely. And I I was very confused about that also because I thought, does getting sober and living a more peaceful, sober, centered life, does that mean you don't accomplish your dreams and goals? And what I realized was is that it's like life became more organized. It didn't mean there weren't challenges or or there wasn't, you know, the the, the path didn't change. But I I envision myself actually on a path, my own. And this is the other thing that was a, a very big thing from the very, very beginning, because my first sponsor used to say to me, get off of other people's paths. I'm like, what? What are you saying? I don't get it. And she said, each person visualize it. They're on a path. And if you you visualize all these paths and maybe like a whole group of people, massive people with no end on either side, moving, moving in directions, in a direction. And she said, people, she said, first of all, if you get on somebody else's path, you're robbing them of the beauty of their life. Get off of it. Get out from in front of them. And I was doing that in ways like trying to control people and tell them what to do and think I knew I knew what was best and I knew exactly how we were supposed to align together. And she said, you know, just trust, you know, or she'd say, get that person out of your back pocket. It's not your responsibility to carry them along. It's too heavy. It's not your job. So I had a lot of learning to do in the very beginning um, and, and all the way through my sobriety, how do I appropriately align myself with the humans that come into my life? And what is my role? And am I supposed to say something or not? Am I supposed to just, you know, we talked about sitting next to people and just sometimes it's just gently sharing a positive feeling or vibration with them, just being calm. Sometimes people just need me to just sit calmly next to them. You know, sometimes I'll drive. I have an 18-year-old daughter, and sometimes I'll drive in the car, and she'll just reach over, and we'll just hold hands. It's the most amazing. Mm. The only way that, and she'll reach to me, and I'll hold as long as she holds. And when she lets go, we let go. 
but it's sometimes we'll be walking into a store together and she'll just say, oh, let's hold hands. And and I want that vibration, that feeling, that that simple little connection to be really special in that moment. Well, I that wouldn't happen unless I was available. Mm-hmm. So I have a very, very, very big desire to be very present in each moment. What am I feeling from the people around me? How can I be helpful to the situation? How can I bring something of value into each moment of my life? I deeply want to master that every day. It's con- I'm conscious of it. It's it's on a post-it. Mm-hmm. Like I am, I am on a mission to be that type of person, especially as I age, because I know as I continue to age, how many old people do you see that are lonely? How many old people lose their capacity? And if I'm, if I'm practicing that, I want to have those meaningful connections. I want my space around me to be simple enough that I'm not distracted by things and that as things get harder for me as I age to comprehend or accomplish or that I'm that I'm a calm, peaceful person and that I'm relating to the people around me in a way that because I'm going to be leaving them, I want to have connections with my children all the way to the very end. It's really important to me. And I, I, I have a responsibility in that. I can't, ex- I play a role in that. It's a vision of mine. I vision myself as an old woman and whoever's around me that I'm able to to be conscious. You know, you hear people that are leaving their life for illness or age and they're so beautiful at the end. Yeah. And I think I want to be that person. I desire that. Well, I have to do the work. Nobody's going to come in and do it for me. I have to make it a goal. I have to work at it. And I think as, you know, it feels like, you know, as you stay sober longer, I'm one drink away from a drunk that never changes. I could Isn't pick up a wild? drink today. It's I could. Just, not cured. Yeah. I have to treat my alcoholism every single day in some way, shape, or form. And I'm really passionate about it. I like to grow. I like, And I like to be of service to God in the lives of other people. It is, I believe, where I was called to be. I know that it's a truth today. And sometimes I do it because I'm acting crazy and insane and and sometimes I do it because I'm I'm peaceful and I'm showing somebody a different way. All of that has value. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Each each mm-hmm. each bump in the road mm-hmm. is is becomes an asset. You know, and, mm-hmm. and you can't see it. You know, that's mm-hmm. it's so painful, right? It's mm-hmm. so painful the things we go through and then, you know, we come out of them and we see how our experience can benefit others. That's right. You know, how and and that that thing that was our 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 liability is now an mm-hmm. asset. And um, I just took an accounting class, so I have a little PTSD from saying <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it is it is something. And I think, you know, for me, what was important was in the beginning, I was so afraid. I mean, I'm, I think there's some truth to this, but it's lessened. I was so afraid of everything, absolutely everything, that I couldn't focus on not being afraid. I had to focus on doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And mm-hmm. so, like the cur- courage, right, is mm-hmm. is being afraid and doing it anyway. And so, part of why I wanted the podcast to be that because it is because it is about doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many things I have been terrified of doing. I mean, the list is 
quite long and did them anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's where the growth happened, right? In the, you know, somewhere in the pain and the fear and the doing it anyway, Mm -hmm. all of that is a, is a recipe for growth. And I frankly find that very disappointing that that's the only, you know, like <laughs> a recipe, you know, because yeah. it feels really good when you're doing when you're when you're, I was you know thinking like, you know, you're praying, you do you like you're doing all this good work, and you feel like you're growing, and then something really crappy happens, <laughs> and you go through like a growth spurt, mm-hmm. and you realize mm-hmm. how exponentially you grow <laughs> through pain. You're like, why? Yeah. You know, you felt like, you, you know, you'd grown an inch through the good stuff mm-hmm. and about a foot through the through the, <laughs> the painful stuff. It's just, you know, it's yeah. a, it's it expedites it, that's for sure. But it, it's part of the process and it's part of that mm-hmm. life process, right? Yeah. And, and uh, having the full life experience, mm-hmm. which includes feelings. And I you know, at almost 14 years sober, I'm still, Mm -hmm. still like, you can feel your feelings, Ashley, this is, you can do this, you know, like you can sit through, you you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, how many, I mean, it's for years I've been doing this and, and, um, you know, I went to my first meeting when I was 15 years Mm -hmm. old. So like not just years, I mean, a, a large percentage of my life I have been, you know, grown, I have been raised in recovery. Right. And, it's it's still default. It's still mm-hmm. it's a little less default, but it's still default to to clam up, to tighten mm-hmm. up, to you know step back. And I I you're right. Like we have to treat our alcoholism, and and I I speak for me. I use alcoholism interchangeably with all the different sure. things that I could abuse, um, or will abuse, or whatever. I have to treat it every day, and I have. I have I like to play with fire, so of course I have gone through spurts of time in my recovery where I did not treat my alcoholism to, you know, see how far I could get, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know if I thought about it that quite that deliberately, but I de- that's definitely what I was doing, right? It's right. like, how long can I go mm-hmm. before I'm committed? And um, it's just not pretty. It's not safe. It's, you know, there's nothing about, like, I don't reap the rewards and... I certainly don't grow and I certainly don't get the benefits of all of the things in recovery. And, and, you know, we talk about if you're, if you have a fatal progressive chronic illness and the medicine for that illness is to, you know, believe in a power greater than yourself, to ask that power, whether you believe it or not, you know, to help you to make a couple phone calls to other people, to attend, um, you know, a, me- a, a community meeting, whatever that looked like. like. If that was the solution, right, uh, you know, let's call it 90 minutes of your time, mm-hmm. how insane would you be if you didn't take it, right? Right. If you could, it, how, how insane would you be if you had some, if you had, you know, Parkinson's, cancer, you had some, right. you'd be insane, right? You would be, this person is insane. But because we have a disease that tells us we don't have a disease and because this you know this this strange mental twist we fight our own recovery and i think it's you know i don't i don't know if it's a lifelong you've you've more experience with that than i do but for me it's been almost 14 years of having to i still have to remember i still have to remind myself and my alcoholism is still 
there waiting for me to think that I can get away without treating it. Yeah. Well, and I I think that definitely flares up for me. I think what has happened over time, I think back, you know, where it says our, our past becomes our most valuable asset and we can be uniquely helpful. And our purpose, it says in the book, you know, I always wanted some sort of a meaningful purpose. And in the very beginning of my recovery, I said, well, I don't know what my purpose is. I'd be with my sponsor. I don't know what my purpose is. And what am I supposed to be doing? And why am I in this stupid Alcoholics Anonymous? And this isn't the path I wanted. And (laughs) she said, well, you have a purpose. I said, what is my purpose? I was so just bratty and, you know, what's my purpose? And she said, well, it says in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, well, I don't. What are you talking about? And she says, well, our purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. And I was like, what? Like, well, going to end it now. I'm like, okay, <laughs> really? And I would say, that's my purpose? She goes, that's your higher overarching purpose. If you believe you belong. I'm so glad one no one day said at that a time. to me early on. <laughs> <laughs> one day at a time. Friends, family. Yep. That would have been it. Ashley would have bailed. Yep. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Oh, I, th- I thought, oh, I have a purpose. And for some reason, I latched on to it. I latched on to it. And then I went on my quest to find God. I had no God, you know, and she would say to me for three years, I would say this prayer. I'd say, uh, she said, because I was frustrated and I wanted to, I saw other people have this deep connection. I was mm-hmm. like, I want that. Mm-hmm. And then I get mad because I don't know how to get it. And then I try to figure it out. And she said, every time you think of God, a relationship with God that's personal and unique and powerful just to you. She says, and you're frustrated. She said, ask God, say, God, whatever, God, spirit, whatever's out there, reveal yourself to me in such a way that you're undeniable. And then get up and do the next right thing. (laughs) Do your dishes, take your shower, get to work, you know, and watch and that's actually where I started watching what's happening around me, looking into people's eyes. Like I started on this mission to find God in everything and to be open. She said, you, you just be open and then like just, just look at people's eyes and align yourself next to people and engage in conversations that maybe you wouldn't have before and, and messages will start to come to you. And that's how I got to the incident this morning earlier where you said, well, just delete it. Ah, it was like, that's it. That's the message. And I grasp it. And I was going to say, I took the message in and then there was the, the, the hang up because I wasn't, I didn't get the full benefit of what you were saying, but I was willing to, to carry it all the way through to fully reap the benefit of the solution. I was willing to be humble for you to physically come to me and show me something I didn't know how to do Mm. and to take it the whole way and get the maximum benefit. I could have said, oh, yeah, I'll figure it out. Right, right, right. I'll I'll figure that. I'll do it later. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's let's do this now because I need (laughs) this freedom. Right. I want that more than I'm willing to walk through admitting to you that I don't know how to do it. And I need your help, and I'm struggling, and I want that benefit of the freedom of it. 
Let's get it done right now in this moment. I'm not going to – because then I would carry it. Then I'd be like, oh, God, I don't know how to do it. And and I feel still – I feel bad about it. And I'm kind of embarrassed because I didn't know. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not living with that. Let's just get yeah, this thing taken care go. of now, right now, in this moment. Well, especially with tech stuff, you know, my, you know, almost three-year-old's I'm not kidding. They na- they can operate a machine now. They don't even have their <laughs> own machines. We try to limit. They steal the machines. They unlock them, <laughs> and they find apps. It's it's it is unbelievable the stuff they can do. So, you know, I always I, I say like, I, you know, when the, so it's it's funny because that's the type of thing, and I've seen this happen before, where people are disparaging about themselves like, oh, I don't know how to use this. And that's the kind of thing that would hold them back from that freedom when in reality, the truth is like, let's say, let's say that were the case in in this particular case, like, oh, Ashley knows how to do something. I I, I didn't learn that. Uh, I don't, all my tech use is so out of date. How am I going to catch up? I feel the same way, Mm -hmm. you know, by the people Mm -hmm. younger than me. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, it's, it's, there's so much it's it's that humanness right and it's mm-hmm. also this um idea that of allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and i my experience is that when i allow myself to be vulnerable other people are vulnerable with me and we all tend to heal and and we're all so similar i mean i christiana i was joke with christiana about this which is like every time i judge people it's what is it like an within an hour mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah like usually yeah. like within an hour it's probably more like 20 minutes i somehow get have have a have a re, an interaction where I feel like the biggest jackass for having judged this person <laughs> and it is so clear like it is the most clear <laughs> cut ways of showing me I mean it's and it's Christiana's seen it happen several times so it's not I am not making this up I mean it is it is really and I I just laugh I'm like I just gotta stop I mean like you know every I don't even do it that often but when I do boom it's like they're just like you (laughs) you know like just like you like you know it's just you know when I when I have judgments like people are so we're all having such a, you know, our own experiences, we're all struggling with our own things. We're all worried about what other people think of us, whether how we look, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I have some friends who are like the most, you know, Ford model, just the most beautiful person, just beautiful, you know, who's like concerned about like the angle of, you know, their nose, which like, it's laughable. It's laughable. But, you know, what you see when you get up close to people, when you get up close to, you know, famous people, you know, people who go to Harvard, you know, all these different people you get up close, it's all the same. Yeah. And uh, and it's so important to remember, you know, to keep that, you know, like the, everybody's doing the mm-hmm. best they can with what they have. Mm-hmm. Everybody is t- as as badly as they may be doing yep. it. That 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 might be the best that they can do, and there may be stuff going on I don't know about. Right, you know that's that's the piece I have to remember. Like there may be stuff mm-hmm. going on that I don't know about. Like they're afraid too. They're you know those types types of mm-hmm. things, and that stuff keeps me right sized. Yeah, and 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 just extending just just kindness to where they where they are right there in that moment, and, it, and it's not to say it's. You know, you you tolerate 
inappropriate behavior or you right. tolerate. But um, and there are times where you walk away and you leave the room and you don't go back and you let go and you move in a new direction. And those are those are some of the harder times. The other thing that I have found over time that is helpful to me in learning to be kind and loving and accepting and present to myself is to realize that everything that happens, I actually, I kind of visualize it as um, if you were to put just a beautiful mosaic of small blue, for me, it looks like kind of bluish iridescent pieces of glass and they they start to assemble into something that's that's beautiful. Well, I I try to look at my life that way, where each thing that happens, I actually visualize like the different experiences as really treasured gifts and the hardship and the the growing through those hardships. Like I I stop for a moment and I say, this is now part of who I am. This is part of the mosaic of my life that is that is coming together as I grow as I grow older, as I learn and grow in my recovery, as I as I grow in a career, whatever it is, they're all coming together and they're all worth something. That that I don't believe God has us walk through anything and it and it's it's meaningless. I, I believe everything there's there's some sort of meaning and learning. So I it's like I'm assembling or you, you know, sometimes, you know, I could visualize it with all these little treasured life experiences just filling up a basket and this is who I am. I'm picturing an art installation and these mm-hmm. tiny pieces of glass or like these tiny little squares have pictures of you from all different parts of mm-hmm. times in your life and that you can see them up close and then one of those things where you step back, back, back and it's a picture mm-hmm. of you as like a really old woman mm-hmm. and this is the, mm-hmm. the you know, your life. Yeah. And I encourage people to like do that for themselves. Like take time to be mindful of your life and what's actually like be present Although it's scary because there's a lot of things I don't like to see and there's a lot of stuff I have to walk through. I don't want to walk through. But be present to where you are right there and get a visual that you can latch onto and build your visual of your life that you can you 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 treasure it. It's like a, a treasure. And I also feel that way about recovery. I feel like it's 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 like every day the God of my understanding says, Here's your gift. Here are the tools. You have a choice today. I'm going to give this. This is here for you every day, one day at a time, one moment at a time. You have a choice. What's your choice going to be? I don't take away the choice. We have a choice. And and I I because I see that I want I I cherish the mosaic of how my life is coming together. I want to continue that. Like there's purpose. There's you know, I don't like my hardship to go to waste. Yeah. I don't like the hardship. Not for sure. But I don't like it to go to waste either. Yeah. You know, you shared some things, Ashley, that were some hardships and really intimate and personal. And when somebody does that, it's such a gift. Like when people like I think, wow, look at that humanness. That's amazing. Mm. Look at that, all of what that human being is. And I try to look at people that way. I and and it just makes things easier for me. I'm not fighting. I'm not I'm just Try. I try to be present to people. These are the things I think the road feels more narrow 
And I, as I learn and hone in each day, each moment, my recovery and the things that come and, and wanting deeper, deeper, deeper understanding of the, the real meaning of the principles of the program. These are the things that I explore. Because if you break all these things apart we're talking about, it's really the principles that are so beautifully put together. You know, I go into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous and and it's it conti- I continue to look around the room and say, Look at these human beings that are coming together mm-hmm. to help each other. Mm-hmm. It's a wild. It is. It's, it's an unbelievable thing. People who would never, ever be in the same mm-hmm. room, let alone amicably. People who, mm-hmm. you know, you learn so much from, you know, it's just, it, mm-hmm. and, and that it continues to go on and, and function and you can believe whatever you want. And, um, you know, that's the thing is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who think that you have to believe something to, to be there and, mm-hmm. and you really don't, and you really don't, you, you don't have to believe anything. And, you know, it's just, it's just a remarkable thing. And having been in it since, you know, having been going mm-hmm. since I was 15 years old, you know, I've seen it all over the world and it's the same. Mm-hmm. It's, it's wild. Mm-hmm. And deciding, you know, I decide, to participate in it. Mm-hmm. I decide that I'm going to show up and I'm going to I'm going to show up one day at a time and I'm going to treat my alcoholism, but I'm also going to actively whatever that looks like in that moment, actively participate in it, in it one day at a time. And I don't know, I just have a, a a mission to to do that, to be that. And I I don't know, I think it's it's an it's remarkable. The, the, the program, but just life too, because you can take those all those same principles out into the world anywhere with your kids or your yep. spouse or your your fellow employees. And it's amazing how well they work out in the rest of the world. <laughs> you seem like a like a really advanced human being to other people. <laughs> and you're like, if you only knew, if you knew what <laughs> yeah. I struggle. I am with. just doing what I read. And told. Um, <laughs> they, I next, break it down yeah, on a post-it yeah, note exactly. and carry it and I it says a, brush your teeth, yeah, exactly. take a shower, yeah. make the coffee. Yeah, everyone thinks you're so advanced. You're like, I can't figure out how to make my bed every day. Yeah. Full disclosure, uh, I can't either. <laughs> I'm just saying I left this morning bed completely not made, dog happy on mm-hmm, bed that mm-hmm. is unmade. So, And I think that that's kind of brings... I wanted just to throw in a point, which we, we've talked about before, but you do not have to be in recovery from a substance, from, from substance use, alcohol or drugs or anything else, in order to apply these principles. Yeah. And it's something that so true. since I've started working here at Lion Rock and doing this podcast and then meeting, of course, amazing people like Ashley and Debbie and listening to how they work their recovery on a daily basis, it's not something that you know, is again, just for people in recovery. But I think that makes people in recovery so much more unbelievably amazing and such phenomenal humans who just contribute so much to the world and the people around them because they are on top of dealing with a disease that they live with every day. They are choosing to work their recovery and they full-blown have the opportunity to not there's well, always just, that choice. It's just life threatening for us. It does. It it helps mm-hmm. everyone, mm-hmm. and the urgency for us is great. Is greater. Mm-hmm. That's, right. That, that's kind of the only difference. Like it's very useful, helpful, and everybody improves from it. You mm-hmm. ju- you just you don't have the urgency. Right. Yeah. And I would encourage people. So Ashley's taken me to an open 
Alcoholics Anonymous meeting before, so I've had the opportunity to go in and observe and listen. And so open basically means that it is open. Anyone can come in. You do not have to be a member. So I'd encourage you to, you know, just go and see what it's all about as well. I mean, even if you don't feel like you 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 don't have have to share. Yeah, like you you won't have to share. You don't have to share or sign in. Anyone can go. Just look for the open designation. And Mm -hmm. when there's also on the Lion Rock website, there are several open meetings that you can join from home using phone, tablet, or computer. And you will meet some amazing people, hear some just incredible stories, and and learn a lot for yourself, whether or not alcohol is something you feel like you struggle with or not. Yeah. Well, Debbie, I want to thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about being overwhelmed. I feel less overwhelmed by the topic of overwhelmed. (laughs) And... I am just really grateful to know you and and to have this be on this ride with you. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast, would like to thank our sponsor, Lion Rock Recovery, for their support. Lion Rock Recovery provides online substance abuse counseling where you can get help from the privacy of your own home. For more information, visit www.lionrockrecovery.com backslash podcast. Subscribe and join our podcast community to hear amazing stories of courage and transformation. We are so grateful to our listeners and hope that you will engage with us. Please email us comments, questions, anything you want to share with us, how this podcast has affected you. Our email address is podcast at lionrockrecovery.com. We want to hear from you. 